Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Well, can I encourage you, please, to open your Bible at Psalm 116, because as we begin to look at it together, we will, to some degree, try just and simply walk through the psalm verse by verse and see some of the truths that we can draw from this psalm. It's primarily a psalm of testimony and a psalm that focuses not so much on the psalmist, but on the psalmist God. And that, of course, is where every testimony ought to focus. But let's bow together for prayer before we uh, turn to God's word. Our Father, we thank you for the truth that we have just been singing, that you are a faithful God. And we thank you that this is true in the testimony that we will look at tonight of the psalmist who found that you were a God who could be trusted. And dear Father, we thank you that you see us and know us individually tonight. And we pray that as we turn to your word now, you will help us as we speak and as we listen, that together we might hear God speaking through his word to all of our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalm that we are looking at tonight, Psalm 116, is commonly known as the Hallel Psalms, or at least one of them, a psalm of praise, and also called by the Jews the Egyptian Hallel, so called with reference to God rescuing his people from the dominion of Pharaoh when he brought them out of Egypt, praising God for his great deliverance. And Psalm 113 to 118 
would have been sung at the major Jewish festivals. The Psalms would have been sung at the Passover meal. And by custom, the first two before the Passover meal and the remaining four after it, which means that these were probably the last Psalms our Lord Jesus sang before his death on the cross. Were we to refer to the Gospels, Mark's Gospel 14, 26, one of the verses, we read there, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we are looking at a psalm that the Lord Jesus would have sung before he went out to go to the cross. What a sheer, sheer privilege. A psalm of thanksgiving and a psalm of praise, a hallelujah psalm. It is one of personal testimony. Begins with the words, I love the Lord. And goes on to tell us why he loves the Lord. It's a very personal psalm. One born out of personal experience. Speaks about the snares of death had compassed me, said the psalmist. I suffered distress and anguish. When I was brought low, he saved me. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Now he comes to the temple, to the whole assembly to share his testimony and speak of God's gracious deliverance. Now the exact circumstances of his trouble are not known, but it is clear that he had been through some very difficult times, deep deep waters. Of course, the lack of knowledge as to the exact nature of his troubles is something that is hugely helpful for you and for me, in that they give us principles we can adopt in every circumstance of life. As we read, as we listen to what the psalmist has to say about God's dealings with him, we discover more and more about the character and nature of God. The psalmist is saying here, this is my God. And so as we listen to his testimony, it is not about the psalmist, but it is primarily about his God. And so as we indicated earlier, it will be helpful if you can have your Bible open at this passage as we endeavor to make our journey through it. The psalmist is remembering in verses 1 through 4, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my plea for mercy. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of shale laid hold on me. I suffer distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Remembering his anguish, the psalmist testifies to his love for the Lord. I love the Lord. And then he goes on to tell us why he will love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my plea for mercy. Verse 2, because he has inclined his ear to me. It is as if the psalmist is saying, 
God has bowed down from his grandeur to listen to my prayer. As David prayed in Psalm 32, verse 2, where he prayed, Incline your ear to me. The psalmist is saying this is exactly what God has done. It's almost like a picture of a loving friend tenderly listening to the voice of someone who is so weak and feeble, his voice can scarcely be heard. This is kind of what the psalmist was saying. This is where I was. And this God of glory and of eternity stooped down. He bent his ear to listen to me. Here the psalmist is also making a lifelong resolve. He says, I will call on the name of the Lord as long as I live. We do well, of course, to remind ourselves of the words that we read in the New Testament that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But in verse 3 of this psalm, we notice that he is caught in danger. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffer distress and anguish. Danger that encompassed him, strangled him. Literally, he was saying, the cords of death seem to be entrapping me. It is as if he had been lassoed by death, and it seems impossible for him to escape, trapped like a haunted animal. He says, that's where I felt I was. Then he was pushed into a place that had him walled in as if he was in a grave. There was no way out of it. He was held in the grip of the snares of these cords of death and entrapped in a grave-like wall situation. Exactly what the cords of death and the grave were, we can only guess. But we don't need to know. What we do need to know is that in this desperate situation, God inclined his ear to the psalmist. He stooped to listen. And God is not only a God who listens, but he is a God who acts on behalf of his people. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you and I need to know today that this God still listens to the heart cry of his people. However faint, however feeble that may be, he stoops to listen. He bends his ear to listen. Can I encourage you here tonight, because none of us know what is going on in any of our own hearts. But it is so possible that we could be sitting in a company like this and we feel just where the psalmist feels he was. In a situation where there is no way out, no escape. 
And yet the psalmist encourages us, however feeble, however frail, however faint our cry might be, that the God of all eternity stoops to listen to your cry, to my cry. The events that the psalm speaks of are like the events pointing back to exodus, deliverance, and forward to the events of the cross when God delivered his people out of Egypt, and then forward to the work of the cross. The God who rescued the Hebrews from the bondage of Egypt is the God who raised up Jesus. It's impossible that Jesus' death should hold him. The God who raised up Jesus is the God who rescues his people through his death on the cross. So the God who sent his son to a cross is the God who identifies with you and me in our deepest hour of need. Verse 5 through 11, the psalmist remembers something of God's mercy. The Lord, preserved the, simp- the Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. The psalmist here remembers God's mercy. Now the ground of the psalmist's confidence is in who God is. The Lord is gracious and righteous and merciful. God is gracious, righteous, merciful. We could refer to various scriptures that underscore that to us. Let's just refer to 1 Exodus 34, 6, where we read there, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The psalmist was one of God's covenant people. And God was bound to rescue him. He was one of the Lord's people, Lord's people. And the psalmist, in a sense, was saying, I belong to the Lord. I am the part of the covenant community. I am part of God's people. And when God comes to rescue, he has been both gracious and righteous. God rescued Israel from Egypt was in keeping with his promise to Abraham. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other, says the psalmist in Psalm 85. Jesus went to the cross and God had promised to provide a rescuer in Christ. 
at the cross, Jesus, that grace and righteousness meet perfectly at the cross. That is where it meets God's righteous judgment on sin and God's grace and God's mercy to the sinner. Verse 6 reminds us that God's mercy, God's grace is to the simple. God's mercy to the simple. Now, the simple in this context is the weak, the vulnerable, those who have no merit of their own, nothing to plead for themselves, those who accept God's revelation, those who accept God's verdict on them and see themselves in this picture as those who have nothing to plead of merit before a holy God. This was the psalmist. And in reality, that is you and that is me. The old hymn of Top Ladies, Rock of Ages, one of the verses aptly captures this, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul, unclean I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. That's where the psalmist was. And that's the kind of people that God rescues. It is at the cross that grace and righteousness meet. This God is the God who delivered his people from their bondage in Egypt. And he is the God who has brought us back to himself in Christ from the bondage of Satan and the bondage of sin. Where the psalmist in verse 7 says, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. There is some question, had the psalmist lost his faith? Where was he? Well, I don't think he had lost his faith, but he had been going through tough times. He had been going through deep waters. The psalmist who had been alarmed can be at rest as he reflects on how bountifully God has dealt with him. God's gracious dealings with him will emerge as we look through some of the verses that follow. Remember the invitation of the Lord Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So possible that we could be sitting here tonight, weary, heavy laden, cast down, troubled. The invitation comes. Verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. He delivered him from death. Whatever that experience had been, when he seemed to be ensnared by the cords of death, when he seemed to be 
when he seemed to be right in the middle of that place that just was like a grave for him. God had rescued him. His eyes from tears, from sorrow, and his feet from stumbling. Was the psalmist about to give up? Was the psalmist at the place where we read in another psalm where his feet had well nigh slipped, almost slipped, but God rescued him? In this verse, salvation is demonstrated before us, probably in terms of earthly well-being, but in words that are true at the deepest level in the heart experience. Do you remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2? You were dead in trespasses and sin. You were dead in your sin. But you've been awakened by the Holy Spirit and you've been brought into spiritual life. God has done it. And what Paul spoke of in Corinthians of some of his difficulties as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Paul had discovered this truth, and I think the psalmist is beginning to discover how rich he is in God's blessing and God's deliverance. Jude reminds us, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. There's somebody here tonight, and you feel that you are just about to pack it in. You can't stand up. You can't keep going. Listen again to what we read in Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The words in Revelation, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. You don't really need me to remind you tonight that the days of no tears is a yet-to-be day, the new creation. We often find ourselves in a valley of tears, but there's a day coming when there will be no tears, no sorrow, no sign, no death, But as we wait for that day, we can be thankful and confident in the gracious promises that enable us to trust God and to give him heartfelt thanks even through our tears. Verse 9. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. To walk before the Lord is both a demanding and reassuring. 
To walk before the Lord, we are wholly exposed. And of course, whether we choose to or not, we are always wholly exposed to the Lord. But to do so with a consciousness that we are answerable to him and him alone is not only deeply challenging, but immensely encouraging. Because as we walk before him and we are wholly exposed to him, it is also true that as his people, we are wholly befriended by him. Verse 10, 11. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, All mankind are liars. The psalmist saying here, I believed, I kept my faith. I believed even when I spoke harshly or rashly. Spoke in a way that may have been construed that I had lost faith. But if we recall the Apostle Paul borrows these words, uses these words, cross in, in 2 Corinthians, where he says, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we speak. Here Paul is using these words as an affirmation of his faith, and it would seem so too was the psalmist. I spoke words in pressured circumstances, I said, all men are liars. Kind of throwing in the towel. No, no, he said, I was just speaking rashly. What is the psalmist's response as we come towards the conclusion? He responds with gratitude to all of God's great dealings and God's great mercy for him. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? What shall I render? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? How can you repay all of God's goodness? What should his response be? How can I repay God for what he has given? The psalmist says, I will take what he has given. I will take the cup of his salvation. There is no way the psalmist or anyone else can repay God. We would, however, have expected the psalmist to say he would give something. But instead he says, I will take and I will call. I will take. This is not a reference to the pouring out of some drink offering, but rather of the receiving of the cup of salvation in all of its fullness. The cup of salvation has been received from the hand of God. The greatest gratitude For what God has given is to take, is to receive from God's hand. All we can do to thank God for what he has given us 
is to keep on relying on him and on his salvation in Christ to keep on taking from his hand. I will call, said the psalmist. I will daily rely on the Lord. I will take the cup of his salvation. Can I pause and ask you the question, have you taken the cup of God's salvation? Received all that is yours in Christ? Verse 14. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. An expression of service consistently and publicly. I will pay my vows in the presence of his people. I will do so openly. He was going to be known as someone who is bound to the Lord and who wanted to live away in a way that would be pleasing to God. Let me fulfill my responsibility of serving the Lord. Someone has said that man is the suppliant and the recipient. And we read of that in earlier verses. Before he has anything to give, his only gifts are debts of gratitude. Verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in this context could mean highly valued could be understood as a precious thing is the death of those who die faithful in him. Or could mean costly. The psalmist had probably come to realize this in a new sense following his experience related to in verses 3 and 8 where it seemed he was right there. He was right there. He had come to realize on a very personal level that God was not oblivious to his earlier experience, likened to death. Experience when probably in reality he felt, I'm going to die here unless there is a rescuer. God had not abandoned him then. He had inclined his ear to him. He had listened to him. And we can remind ourselves of the words of the Lord Jesus. Words that would indicate to us how precious, how intimately involved God is in the life of every individual person. What does the Lord Jesus say? What does he ask? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You're of more value than many sparrows. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his servants. And we might add, in life or in death, 
God is intimately involved in the detail of our lives, whatever the circumstances, whether that means being rescued from death or not. Paul again reminds us in Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He sees the sparrow. Don't we think that he sees us where we are? Yet we can be so crushed that we miss that wonderful truth. Verse 16, I am your servant. You've loosed my bonds. He been released from death's ropes and the restrictions of the grave, whatever that meant for the psalmist. He is now free, a free man, but free to become God's servant, which is true freedom. I don't know if you're familiar with George Matheson's hymn, which part of it goes, Make me a captive Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conqueror be. Here the psalmist was finding true freedom, in his captivity to the eternal God. I will sacrifice, verse 17. In the case of the psalmist, it would be an animal sacrifice in the temple. We no longer need the animal sacrifice for access to the presence of God. Jesus has made that once and for all sacrifice for our sins. As he hung on the cross, the Passover lamb, and cried, finished. Jesus has opened up the way into the presence of God. There is access. You and I can come into the presence of God as a result of the finished work of Christ on the cross when he cried, finished. There is no longer a dead animal required. What God does look for is a living sacrifice. I will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We can't repay him. We can only receive from God. We can only serve him. We can offer a thank offering. We can offer ourselves as a thank offering, a living sacrifice. Do we recall again the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, where the plea is for us there to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God, which is our reasonable service. What you and I need to do is to say to the Lord, I offer my life to you. I offered on Sunday, but I offered on Monday through Saturday. Every part of my life, every area of my life, Lord, every part of me belongs to you. It does. We're not alone. You bought it with the blood of your Son. 
So therefore, with seat he stood, if Jesus Christ be God, and did all this for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I will call in the name of the Lord. Could mean I will pray. But I understand in the Hebrew this could also mean I will call out. I will proclaim. And if we look at Psalm twenty-two, twenty-five, we will see that public proclamation and confession was part of thanksgiving. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear you. And then the final two verses. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This psalm is an intensely personal testimony. It's also a testimony that has public proclamation. The flame of his passion for God and godliness has been withdrawn from burning alone to being shared with others. And that very flame of his testimony under God may kindle in the hearts of others. God is not inactive in our lives. When we realize something of his mercy and his grace in our lives, surely neither can you or I be inactive for him. Be silent. I will take the cup of salvation. I will pay my vows. I will serve the Lord. And the psalmist finishes as we would expect him to finish in such a psalm. Praise the Lord. Maybe that some of us need to take this psalm and quietly Go away to our rooms tonight and just go through it verse by verse, line by line, and turn it into a prayer and ask God to help us to work our way through it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words that we have read together, we have looked at together, and we pray that you will take them and use them in all of our lives, that we may be enabled by your grace to live for you and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.